Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Listen, Concerned Veterans for America. We're going to talk a little bit about that organization. It's an organization of veterans, military family members, and patriotic Americans that work to defend the freedoms they and their families fought and sacrificed for. And one of the issues they're working on right now and have been for quite a while is to make sure veterans get the health care they deserve and that the laws that Congress passed are being followed. In 2014, it was discovered that uh, veterans were having to wait weeks and even months in some cases to get an appointment. And then there was this terrible tragedy, really, at the VA in Phoenix. It was discovered there was a secret wait list, a secret wait list that at least 40 veterans died while they were waiting for care. What, a, what an absolute tragedy. Four years later, the VA Mission Act was passed, and that allowed for more access to community care and going outside the VA system if that's what the veteran chose to do. But it seems that the VA, again, was standing in the way of veterans getting the care that they need. So on today's podcast, we have Executive Director of Concerned Veterans for America, Russ Durstein, to talk about how CVA is working on making sure veterans are getting access to timely health care. Russ, thanks for being here. Jeff, thanks for having me today on this important issue. Appreciate the time. Okay. So Russ and I, we work together occasionally and I found something new about Russ. I just had to ask him. So Russ said this morning, he was telling me he was a presidential elector in 2008 for the state of Texas. And uh, that was uh, the election, John McCain versus Barack Obama. Texas went for McCain. And so the way this works is the elector from the party that wins, they get actually elected as an elector and they cast their votes in the electoral college. But you guys were getting pressured. You were an elector and you were getting pressure to to not vote for McCain and to vote for Obama. This is kind of interesting. Tell us the story. Yeah. So um, I had been engaged in grassroots politics, Republican politics uh, since the mid 90s. And I'd seen all sorts of silly protests, uh, Republican Party headquarters over things like Indians being massacred in the Yucatan Peninsula. And and I asked the party chairman, it's like, why are they protesting the Republican Party? And she said, you know, when the wind blows, they come protest us. And so, <laughs> and so I got a firsthand experience of that 10 years later when uh, I'm getting, you know, us in the delegation uh, were elected by the, at the state convention by our peers and to represent my congressional district. And we head into the Capitol and there's a group of protesters out there protesting us, are taking our vote. And they were literally pleading with us to change our vote to support uh, Biden and Obama instead of McCain and Oh, goodness, drawing a blank. Sarah Palin. Sarah, Sarah Palin. Palin, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were like, you guys won. What, what's the point? Well, we wanted <laughs> to be unanimous. And, you know, you guys shouldn't vote for <laughs> awful people like that. And it, it was silly. We chuckled and we went in and we kept our promises and we voted the way that we pledged to do. But it, I just, I got tickled that uh, people yeah. spent their time doing that. <laughs> so. Well, and the, the, what's interesting about that is an elector, you're there to cast the vote for the people on behalf of the people of Texas and they voted for 
John McCain. So you would have been violating, you know, the trust with them if you had voted any other way. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I'm uh, very particular to keeping uh, oaths and promises. I've been doing that for yeah. a long time. Was well, too bad more politicians didn't do that. That's what we need is a few more politicians that would do that. All right. I want to talk to you about uh, Concerned mm-hmm. Veterans for America. First, I want to talk about the name because I think some people think, well, is it Concerned Veterans for America or Concerned Veterans of America? It's Concerned Veterans for America. Why is that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's one of the things that we speak about a lot in, uh, when we are at uh, town halls or any type of meeting. Uh, in when the, when the organization was founded, we really wanted to project that um, veterans who had once taken a pledge to defend and serve uh, uh, and protect the, the Constitution of the United States and put our lives on the line to do that, that we were calling them for a second term of service and that we were here to serve, um, to serve America and that we were for American liberty and prosperity. And uh, the, one of the things that we really tried to drive across is, yes, there are issues that we lobby about to remove uh, barriers that, that get in veterans' ways, um, but there's a lot that this country needs and that we are um, obviously a trusted source, but we're also a subject matter expert on several things like foreign policy, like um, the downside of socialized medicine that happens at the Veterans Administration. And that we, we feel like a lot of the policies that we advocate uh, for veterans are actually things that apply to the, the entire American um, populace. And so these principles cut across uh, so many different areas. And we said, hey, veterans, uh, we need a lot of you are dissatisfied. You feel like your promise has been broken to you. The social contract has been broken to you on getting your health care delivered on time and, and in a healthy manner. Let's not only go fight for ourselves, and, and we, we got a lot of veterans into the fight to do that, but let's make sure we advance those principles for every citizen in the United States. So, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. So let me just kind of throw this out there. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about health care, mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, the VA has over, over time trapped veterans to get service in the VA system. And it, almost like the, this whole issue of school choice or educational choice, um, you know, why shouldn't a veteran have the ability to, to go outside of that VA system if that's what they choose? The veterans should be getting the best care that they want to get. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more. And I am, we're going to get to that. But that's, that's a major, major issue that I know Concerned Veterans for America has been working on. But I want to ask you before we get into that, you know, this new Congress just hit the ground running uh, in January. So what what are kind of what's CVA working on? Concerned Veterans for America working on legislative priorities. What, what are you trying to, to move the needle on? Well, fortunately um, for us, we've had a lot of uh, congressional members who've seen a huge spike in um, constituents complaining about what's going on with the VA health care system and how the promises that were made to them uh, to go into community care aren't being kept. And so we have their ear. We have a lot of uh, members of Congress who are coming to us and say, hey, hey, how can we help fix this? And um, obviously, we're subject matter experts. And so we've been able to advise. There's a couple of key bills. Uh, Senator Blackburn has uh, an excellent one, the Veterans Health Care Freedom Act. And it would allow veterans to be able to use a system that already exists in the VA. And let me explain that real quick. Right now, if you are enrolled in the VA 
and you need to go to an urgent care clinic, you can go to that clinic and receive um, care without having to ask permission from the VA to do so. Um, and it's automatically paid for. There's no dispute over your bill. That doesn't exist for emergency room visits, and it doesn't exist for community care. And so the VA gets to t- tell you, yes, you have choice when we tell you we have choice. So the idea of this bill is let's take that one segment of the VA that's working, urgent care um, administration, mm-hmm. and let's set up a system to where veterans in a pilot program are able to use it the exact same way they do at urgent care, but use it for community care, use it for emergency room care. And it should that work over a three-year period, they want to implement to the entire country. So imagine this, Medicaid and Medicare, you don't go to the government and ask for permission to go see the doctor. You go mm-hmm. to somebody who is, a, who is certified in Medicaid or Medicare, the billing's all set up. You need to go see the doctor, you go see it, the government pays the bill. That is what this Healthcare Freedom Act would do that Senator Blackburn is proposing. And we're a big advocate of that. So, you know, when, when we talk, we talk about this all the time. And this, this podcast is about the government imposed barriers that people have to break through. And this is a great example of it. We've talked about it in healthcare, all the different things in, in the area of healthcare, um, you know, for civilians that, that, that stand in the way, certificate of need and, and, uh, you know, the limits on telehealth and limits on HSAs, all of that stuff. But this is a great example of like what if you're a veteran, why shouldn't if you want to go to the VA system and that's where you think you get the best care, you should go there. But for those veterans who don't think they get the best care there, they should be able to go somewhere else and not be limited. And that's really what this is about is breaking that government imposed barrier that the government has has erected in front of uh, veterans. Let, let me ask you about that. Your focus at, at CVA, I think right now, is to hold the Department of Veterans Affairs accountable and to protect these veterans' health care options. And so talk about how you're doing that at, at CVA. Yeah, so we have a, a two-prong um, battle here. One is to propose legislation that makes a difference, uh, and, and we just talked about that. The other thing we're uh, doing is we're assisting both the uh, House and Senate Veteran Affairs Committee uh, that are trying to dig into the bottom of why the VA is not even upholding the current law and why they're constantly undermining it. Um, We saw when the Mission Act first uh, was implemented, uh, it was popular, it was successful, uh, almost too successful. And so much so that there were people seeking community care at such a rapid rate, we believe the VA panicked and made it harder to justify asking for more and more money when less and less people are coming to see you. And so we noticed as soon as COVID hit, there began um, this pattern of canceling millions of appointments, then making it harder for the VA or for a a veteran who qualified either due to distance or how long it took to get the appointment. There are things that automatically qualified him. Um, We noticed that they were undermining that. They were giving them wrong information. They even went so far as to take down the website that educated on community care. They were throwing up barriers left and right. And we've seen the VA go back to the 2014 Phoenix scandal type things where they were configuring statistics on purpose and delaying veterans health care on purpose to make it look like veterans were getting seen in a timely manner when in fact they were not. 
And uh, so we engaged um, some of the information that came out of Americans for Prosperity Foundation. Um, they filed a FOIA request, which I know you talked about a little bit before in a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. And we started to see um, documents that came out that supported the very theory that we had that they were intentionally denying and undercutting the intent of the uh, 2018 Mission Act. And so we're, uh, we're supplying uh, Congress with, uh, with that information. We're assisting them in investigations and how, um, how this has taken place. And uh, we're bringing subject matter expert, uh, expertise that we've accumulated over 10 years uh, to those committees and making this information and testimony um, uh, to bring them firsthand, and including thousands of stories of veterans who have had their health care get worse, or in some cases, if you've seen in the paper or heard on TV, committing suicide in VA parking yeah. lots and other places because they they've just reached an end to their health yeah. health care frustration. This is, it's infuriating. I mean, it is really infuriating. My my father was a veteran, my father-in-law a veteran. And, you know, I think about that. They go out, they sacrifice in sometimes a military career. In other times, you know, they, 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 they risk their lives and, and alter their lives with some life-changing events that happen in their service. And then they come home and you've got people within the VA who are doing this and what is the intention here that what is what are some of these employees in the va and not not all there are some really good employees i'm sure in the va system but but the ones that are doing this are doing it to justify their existence and their job and to continue to get more funding for va rather than to care about the veteran i mean that that's pretty sick that somebody would do that i mean it's it's infuriating i don't know any other better word for it than that russ well, Jeff, you touched on it uh, early on when you talked about how this is similar to a certificate of need or right. or choice in education. Uh, the really ironic thing is, um, you know, we make two promises when when a veteran signs up. We one, we say we're not going to pay you a lot, and that's not a promise; that's a mm. fact. Right. But should you get injured in the line of duty, we're going to take care of your health care need, and uh, should you uh, want to further your education. Uh, when you get out of service, you're, you're going to get a GI bill and you're going to be able to get financial help. Well, the ironic thing is the government allows some, a veteran to shop his benefit in education, where uh, in the public, it's just the opposite. And when it comes to health care, we don't get to shop, uh, unlike Medicaid, Medicare or other government run programs. The really tragic thing that we're seeing right now is we're seeing enlistment. Um, they said an all-time uh, low, since, and not hasn't been this bad since the Vietnam era. And I mm-hmm. can't help but think that the 18 to 22-year-olds in this country are looking at the social contract that we've made to our veterans who, who uh, we made these promises to, who put their lives on the line. And they're looking at that, and they're looking at what's going on with uh, the endless wars we're engaged in. They're looking at how we're not keeping our promises when it comes to health care. There's not a lot of incentives for young people to uh, really believe that if they put their life on the line, we're going to be there for them when it's when their service is done. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think uh, you know these recruitment issues. Th- there's so much there, and it really is a break of faith with the, the the people who the men and women who have worn the uniform. You mentioned the Phoenix VA 
waitlist scandal. And uh, I want to just have you give us a little more detail about what that was. Maybe there's people listening who don't fully understand what that was. So um, a lot of the uh, administration, administration's um, hospital administration's uh, bonuses were based on how their wait times were kept low. And so to keep those low, what they ended up doing was taking some veterans who were not getting or getting their canceled, excuse me, their appointments canceled frequently, or they weren't getting them logged in time. They put them on a separate list to keep them out of the statistics they were giving to Congress. And so their health care suffered so that that VA hospital could get the bonuses that they qualified for actually didn't qualify for and had amazing fraud to get, to get qualified for. So this, this exists in any bureaucracy as the bureaucracy comes before the need of the person they're supposed to be serving. But unfortunately it got so bad that um, they were willing to uh, jerry rig statistics so that they could a get bonuses and B get more funding when they went back to Congress the next year. That's a, it's just incredible. Were people fired over this? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that's the ironic thing. Eventually, um, I think there was one person held accountable, but there Come were on. hundreds of people involved, and I think there was one scapegoat. That's in, that is, uh, that that's what we find so frustrating, right? On this on this show, right? It is government is almost never held accountable for things like this. And these are people's lives. I mean, there were people who lost their lives because of that incompetence and because of that hubris to try and make themselves look better. I mean, this is is incredible. There's one entity that's allowed to have a monopoly and that's the government. We would never stand for this type of monopoly that would cost people's lives in the free market. But the government, for some reason, thinks that they're allowed to monopolize uh, veteran health care, and it, Congress is trying to put an end to that, and we're trying to help them do that. So after that happened, uh, the VA Mission Act got passed, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you were a big part of that. Uh, certainly, the Concerned Veterans for America was a gigantic part of that. Um, once that, Did that fix the problem? Did that help? What did it do? It, it greatly helped. Um, one of the things that we saw when we first pushed for passage of that, it was probably popular among veterans by, I'd say, 65% or so. Mm-hmm. A lot of the D.C. Uh, veteran organizations, of course, were opposed to it because they like being in tight with the VA. And so we worked a lot with the state and local uh, VFW posts and American Legion posts, et cetera, et cetera. And it, we drove up popularity around two-thirds, a little less than two-thirds. Once it became law, and it became a reality. We saw polling on it shoot above 90% among veterans. It was extremely popular. It was too popular for the VA. And so uh, instead of doing things to compete more, to uh, drive veterans back into, quote, their market, um, they decided to use COVID to, to uh, reorganize or re-energize the monopoly that they had. Yeah. And so it it worked, it helped, it wasn't a total solution, but it was a huge step in the right direction in introducing choice. And um, they, they've worked ever since to undermine it and, and roll it back. Oh, so frustrating. What, one of the things that we've talked about, we mentioned earlier was community care. Yes. Uh, talk about community care, what it is, how it, how it helps veterans. 
So, um, and one of the ironic things, and I'll get to at the end of the point, is it also helps civilians in, a, in rural areas, and I'll explain that sure. uh, when we get done. But community care is um, when there's certain criteria that uh, the VA can't meet, time and distance being the two biggest. Uh, there are doctors, uh, there are clinics who, um, just like Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid, who are, quote, qualified uh, to, to see patients. And so that enables a veteran. He can't get an appointment in a certain amount of time. He becomes qualified. He goes and sees a doctor uh, that's in the community. Uh, that Then that doctor is able to bill the VA, and the VA pays that bill. Um, same thing for distance. I live in rural West Texas, and we had veterans going as far away as Albuquerque, which is an eight-hour drive. Um, they would pass many doctors or many hospitals that could see and treat them along the way. Uh, that simply the VA would, you know, could pay for. So community care is, uh, it, I think the simplest way to look at it, it's, it's like a Medicaid or a Medicare doctor. It's somebody that's qualified within the system and um, the veteran can go see that doctor and have the VA pay the bill. Yeah. And that makes a big difference, right? It just brings a different, uh, there, there's some accountability to a system like that where a veteran can and not just the accountability, but it, it's choice. It's allowing a veteran to get the care that they want rather than forcing them into a one-size-fits-all system. And ironically, Jeff, the cost yeah. per patient is lower when they use community care than when they use the federal government. So it saves taxpayers wow. dollars. So, but, but it doesn't allow VA bureaucrats to continue to get inflated uh, budgets, right? Exactly. And, and get, ask for more money. And that's the, their concern with it. Exactly right. And here's the one point I wanted to also make. Rural health care for civilians had benefited from this and is now suffering because of it. When you have um, a rural area where a doctor has financially doesn't have quite enough patients to maybe establish a practice there or stay there, when veterans aren't being um, exported two, three, four, five hours away, between the veteran patients and the civilian patients and the veteran patients using community care, there's oftentimes enough economic um, output there to support a doctor or clinic um, that isn't normally there. So it actually has a positive unintended, con uh, not consequence, but benefit um, to uh, rural civilian patients. You know, it's, it's interesting, but quite often that is the case with the uh, free, free enterprise, free markets is that it kind of benefits everybody. If you, if you don't have the government skewing uh, the marketplace. Okay. You've got uh, under the Biden administration, you've got, how's the VA doing? Are they doing better, worse? Uh, what, what's the feeling on the current Biden administration and the veterans affairs? I would say worse and much worse. Um, I don't think it's much of a secret that the Biden administration is in love with the idea of socialized uh, health care. Um, mm -hmm. That was the dream of the Obama administration. Uh, I think the um, uh, Biden administration would like to carry out that dream. I think one of the things they can't afford to have is for the VA healthcare system to be seen as a failure. Even if it is a failure, they don't want it to be seen as a failure. And so I think uh, what we're seeing from the Biden administration is they're empowering the VA to withhold documents. Um, out of the uh, documents that we've gotten so far uh, from AFPF's uh, efforts on FOIA, we're noticing about 80% of them are duplicates. Um, the uh, meetings we're having with them that the court orders uh, the VA to sit down and meet with us, they're, you know, they've been hostile until very recently. 
they've dragged their feet over and over again. So not only are they undercutting the system, they're trying to hide how they're undercutting the system. It's so bad that even last year when one, when one Republican senator was asking questions, the VA uh, secretary had the audacity to say, well, if you want that information, file a FOIA. Said that to a U.S. senator. Oh, my and goodness. So we are, we are seeing, in my belief is the Biden administration is actually enabling and empowering uh, the VA administration to um, hide the truth as to what they're doing. Now, the Biden administration, what didn't they just uh, sign into law uh, this PACT Act? Yeah. Um, what, was, that, was that good? Tell me about that. Yeah. So that actually threw um, gasoline on the, uh, on the wait times. Uh, oh. So the, the PACT Act was a big um, move to qualify uh, folks that were exposed to burn pits. Um, mm-hmm. That by itself is not the problem. In fact, we, but it's also not the solution. Um, because if you're sick for any reason, regardless of it's burn pit exposure, uh, whatever reason you are sick in line with your, with your service, you qualify for getting VA healthcare. The problem with the PAC Act is it added probably almost instantaneously a million new, uh, veterans into line, uh, for lines that are already not, uh, that are too long and they're not getting to in a quick manner. And so what is, a, a, again, another good intention has not been met with the solution is how we're going to see these new people and we can't do it without wait or without um, community care because the wait lists are just going to get longer and longer. So uh, good intention, uh, bad implementation. So what is this administration, it's gotten worse, you believe, in allowing veterans to access their health care. They are they would you say that they're kind of this administration is kind of at war with community care? Oh, I, I, I would say so. Um, it, it is very clear that they not only want to capture more veterans into the into socialized medicine. Right. They right. want to use it as the model uh, to capture uh, as many civilians down the road as they can. Yeah. You, you keep using that term, which I I totally agree with, but socialized medicine. I mean, that's essentially what it is, right? It is. That's what the VA system is. It is the only fully socialized medical system in the United States is the VA healthcare system. Yeah. And when we talk about, and I'll just point out very quickly, when we talk about some of the great, amazing sort of transformational moments in, in, in medical history, in medical facilities around the United States, around the world, we usually talk about private universities, private hospitals, um, you know, the Mayo Clinic or something like that uh, in the United States. We don't talk about the VA system, do we? Oftentimes um, not. But, I, you know, I do want to make real clear that the VA does deliver some excellent health care. Sure. Um, the problem, and think about this. Uh, it doesn't matter how great the healthcare system is if 90% mm-hmm. of your folks can't get to it in time to change their lives. The difference right. in what you described in those other high-quality um, uh, apparatus that we have out there uh, is that folks have market choices to go from place to place until they can find healthcare. And so in times that they need to get it quickly, if they can't get to the very best place they want to go to, they can go to the second best place because there's choice. And so excellence without choice still ends up in tragedy and despair for too many veterans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
So sad, and I'm glad that you guys are working on this. Uh, you're doing great work there. What's going on right now? Are you working with Congress? What can be done in this Congress to maybe make better health care uh, for the, the the veterans that are that are so desperate to have good health care? One of the things that we're really asking people to do is to step up and tell their story to their congressman uh, that mm-hmm. you can uh, get a hold of the veterans um, uh, staffer that they have. Uh, share your VA uh, story with them. Uh, we've seen those constituent cases skyrocket. And then to advocate for uh, true choice in, in veteran health care. So while you're making that phone call, let them know this is something we need. And then we have uh, tens of thousands of activists out there that uh, sign eyeball petitions. Those are electronic petitions to Congress. They help us make phone calls. They go knock on doors for us to advance these policies. Um, If you're able to help us at cv4a.org, there are many avenues in which you can volunteer to do that. Uh, We're seeing a ton of digital activists who are now sharing uh, these VA horror stories on their social media posts. they tweet about them. Uh, they help grow that awareness. And I think there's two things that we're really asking uh, Congress to do. One, hold the VA accountable for today, for what they're, how they're undercutting the law today. And second thing we're asking them is to advance true choice and allow veterans to escape the monopoly that the government has posed on us with socialized health care. Um, let's get true competition in for for the VA healthcare system. Yeah. Well, listen, those are very noble goals uh, and you guys are doing great work, wonderful work really to, to advance this. I mean, from the VA mission act and the work that you did to get that passed. uh, But you didn't stop there. Obviously there's lots more work to be done and you're continuing to do that. If people want to get involved with concerned veterans for America, uh, they want to hold the VA accountable, ensure veterans have access to community care. How do they do? How can they get in touch with you and do that, Russ? Yeah, the very first place to go is to CV4A. I'll say it in my in in uh, the vernacular that the veteran used. That's Charlie Victor Four Alpha dot org. Um, CV4A dot org. There we have volunteer list signups. We have several electronic petitions that can help. Um, we will get um, either a digital organizer with you or if you live in the area of one of our great field uh, engagement directors, uh, they'll get in contact with you. But I just really want to stress there are multiple ways that people can help. Um, Obviously, social media is terribly popular right now, and it's a great way to help. Uh, But there's other more traditional means that, that you can sign up, volunteer, Help grow this army. Um, there's, uh, we have a lot of veterans who, for the first time, never engaged in politics before, who have woken up and said, not only do I need to fight for this issue, but I need to fight for freedom and prosperity and choice for my, my brothers and sisters who have never served. So if you can come join, uh, even if you're not a veteran, you have a loved one or you're just patriotic and you're like, hey, this is what we need to do, um, join in the fight. And uh, help us grow this army, and uh, we can make a real impact on on many many issues. Russ, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you being with us uh, on this episode. Thank you for your service to our country, and thanks for your continued service uh, through Concerned Veterans for America and the great work that you do there. Again, if you want to learn more about Concerned Veterans for America, you can go to their website cv the number four 
cv4a.org, cv4a.org, and uh, you can learn more. You can also, if you want, I'll get you connected with Rush. You can send me an email, jeff at americanpotential.com. I'll get that along to Russ if you would like to learn more. But I do appreciate you joining me, Russ. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. Uh, look, thanks for joining us again on this episode. This is a fight so important that we continue to fight uh, to get rid of some of these government barriers that are erected, things that the government puts in our way. And how great would it be if we could help these veterans who went and you know answered the call and went out and risked their lives. And in many cases, we're talking about people who paid a terrible price through uh, conflict, through war. And, you know, they're trying to deal with that. They just want the best medical care they can possibly get. And we as Americans should all stand up and want them to get the best care they possibly can, can have. If you know of a story that, uh, Someone is working to expand freedom. Perhaps it's a veteran who is trying to find medical care through the VA system or has met up with a barrier that the government has imposed on them. Go to our website, go to AmericanPotential.com, fill out the share your story section, and uh, we'll look at that and get back with you. And hopefully we can highlight that on this show. Uh, Thanks for listening to us. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Get the word out. Tell people you love the American Potential podcast. Thanks for listening to American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com. 